0: up Freedom House. How are you guys doing today? All right. You guys excited to be in church this morning? Man, we had an awesome worship set. Really, it was just a continuation of last night. Who was here for Encounter last night? Good bit of people. Yeah, man, it was awesome. Loved to have our Encounter service worship last night and then just continuing that on in Today. My name is Adam, and I'm honored and privileged to be up here and speaking with you guys today. I want to give a shout out to those that are joining us online. Do you guys know that we extend beyond these four walls? We go all over the place, all over the world to reach people. And so people are watching us online right now. So if you're ever out traveling, if you're ever out, you know, going on business uh, and you're not here in Charlotte, make sure you guys jump online. My wife and I usually get to be a part of that. And so you can jump in the chat, you can tell us where you're tuning in from. We love to say hey to people and see where everybody is tuning in. Now, if you haven't been at Freedom House before, maybe this is your first time, there's a reason that I'm up here speaking to you and Pastor Troy or Pastor Penny aren't. That's because we do something called a teaching team here at Freedom House where we have a live communicator at every single one of our campuses. That means at Lake Norman, Pastor Sam Taylor is up there preaching today, and then down at South End, my wife is speaking, so that's pretty awesome. Awesome. Pretty excited that we're both able to be up and preaching on a Sunday morning, and we're so excited about this. And I got to give credit and honor where it is due, because the fact that I'm even able to be up here is a testament to our senior pastors. I mean, it takes a humble and confident leader to give up this platform to people like me. So could we give it up to them real fast, give them some honor and some credit? They are phenomenal people, phenomenal leaders, and um, we just, we love being under their Leadership. And real quick, I got to say, where are all the strong men at? Strong men, let me hear you. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. You guys saw that preview. You got to make sure that you get here September 8th. It's going to be awesome. We got that pulled pork cook off. Who's going to win that? Raise your hand if you're going to win the. I see, okay. You guys are sitting next to each other. Don't fight during my service, all right? You can do that later. Wait till September 8th. We're going to be giving away guns. Come on, somebody. That, you don't even need to bring guns, my man. I see you back there. You can bring your own guns. He's pretty jacked, for those of you that are watching online. We also have a knife giveaway. That's pretty sweet, right? Just cut right through. You have to use the knife on the pork, Pastor Aaron? Is that what it's for? No, you don't have to? Okay. All right. So it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And in, with all of that, if that wasn't enough, Pastor Troy is going to be bringing a message specifically for the men. Now, this is so important because we understand that when the men rise up, when the men step into their God-designed destiny, that everything changes. The entire church is gonna feel the change. Your family's gonna feel that change. Your kids are gonna feel that change. Your workplace, everybody's gonna feel that when the men step into their rightful position that God has designed them for. So make sure you guys get out for that. freedomhouse.cc slash strong. Get there September 8th. Now, a little bit about me before we dive into this. I've been attending Freedom House for 12 years. My wife and I have been coming. We started coming when we were 18 years old. So you can do a little bit of math there, figure out how old I am. And uh, so we've been here for a minute. And then I have been on staff for six years, almost going on six years. And with that, I get to oversee our facilities team. So you see, overseeing all of our different campuses, making sure everything is working. So if you see lights out, I'm the guy. That's the one you come complain to when lights are out or things are broken, I'm your guy. So come talk to me about that. And with that, my wife and I, we also get to oversee our youth and young adults. Can we hear it up for our youth and young adults? Come on. Such an important part of what we do at Freedom House. So our youth is seventh to 12th grade. We meet every Sunday night at 6 p.m. So if you have a student, if you know a student, if you know somebody in that age range, make sure you get them to vertical on Sunday nights. That is a message specifically for them. It is their service, it is designed for them. You do not wanna miss it every single Sunday night. And then also, our young adults who are sitting up here on the front row, 18 and 29. So once you get out of high school, you join movement. And man, a lot of life happens in that age range, right? Once you get out of high school, you start maybe going off to college, getting into work, you know, you start having a family, everybody gets a dog, because that's just that's what you do, right? You just, you get a dog. That's what we did, at least. And so, we get to oversee all that, and with that, we oversee our internship, which I gotta give a shameless plug here. If you're looking to uh, for some leadership, for some direction, maybe you feel like you have a call of ministry on your life, maybe you don't know what your next steps are and you just want some some mentorship, some counseling in that area of your life of what next steps to take, Check out the internship. I mean, I'm partial to it, but I encourage you to take a look at that. We believe in the internship here and we've seen amazing things, amazing people come out of the internship. So that's a little bit about me today, but we are gonna be wrapping up this series, What Does the Bible Say About? Do you guys, have you guys been enjoying this message series? All summer long, we've been talking about stuff and hitting some tough topics, some things that you know maybe some churches aren't even talking about. I mean, we talked about homosexuality last week, we talked about women in ministry, we've talked about all sorts of different things, and I gotta say, I think they saved the best for last. You guys can decide, for, it got real quiet, so <laughs> we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Maybe you guys don't agree, but that's fine, it's gonna be great, I'm excited. The topic that I'm gonna be talking about today is one that is very important and it's very prevalent in our society today, and you may not even know about it. So my topic and what we're gonna be discussing is what does the Bible say about deconstruction? What does the Bible say about deconstruction? Like I said, this is a topic that hits home for me because of what I get to do with our youth and our young adults, and this is an issue that we're seeing in society. In fact, the Barna Research Center estimates that of those that profess Christianity when they enter college, 70% of them will leave school with little or no faith. Seven out of 10 young people that go off to college when they leave will experience, will have little or no faith. Now this is not a knock on colleges. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't go to college, although I am a proponent of trade schools. We can talk more about that. That's a whole different message. But that's what I'm not saying. um, What I'm talking about is there is a root issue and something that I believe that is happening in our society today, specifically with young people, but also in those that are a little bit more mature, As well, But there's an issue and there's a root cause, and that's what I want to talk about today. And I want you to know that this is nothing new. In fact, when Paul was writing to Timothy, who was a young pastor back in the day, Paul was writing him letters, giving him encouragement, giving him guidance, giving him some direction, giving him things to look out for, he references this. Now, he doesn't reference it by name, but I think he's talking about this issue. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, and he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. They'll wander off And so when it comes to deconstruction, first and foremost, we need to define our terms. Because some of you in here may not even know what I'm talking about. This word deconstruction may be totally foreign to you, but maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you've heard some people talking about it. You've heard things on social media or on podcasts or in the Christian sphere that have talked about deconstruction. But we need to first define what it is because otherwise it can kind of be like the term woke. Like if you don't define what the term is, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So first and foremost, deconstruction does not mean the opposite of construction, all right? We're not gonna be ripping out screws or pulling nails or telling you to tear down that shed that's in your backyard. But what I'm referring to is this phenomenon that is unfortunately happening quite a bit in our society today, as we reference with the Barna Research Institute, where people are beginning to dismantle their faith and in some cases walk away from God completely. Now, real quick, I wanna make this abundantly clear that the word deconstruction, what I'm talking about today does not mean I have questions. If you have questions about the Bible, if you have questions about God, and if you're seeking after those answers, I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying that you're deconstructing. In fact, I think that if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us have questions. And if you're in here today and you think that you have God 100% figured out, I got questions for you, all right? (laughs) All right. So I think that we all have questions. And so the definition, the working definition, at least for our purposes today, is that deconstruction is the cynical analysis of one's beliefs, not in search of the truth, but rather their truth. And so if there's a difference, and I gotta point this out, there's a difference between cynical and critical. And it really all comes down to the posture, the nature of the question. For example, if you have somebody who is a food critic, that person doesn't hate food, right? No, they're going out, they're seeking after the best dishes, the best restaurants, finding new ways that chefs are taking different ingredients and creating something beautiful. No, a food critic doesn't hate food. In the same way, a person who is seeking after Jesus and the truth but has biblical questions is going to approach through critical thinking and they're gonna be seeking to understand. On the contrary, a cynical approach is someone who is asking questions thinking that they already have the answers, and those answers are often contrary to Christian doctrine. These people think that because they have read a book or listened to a podcast or seen a YouTube video that seems to come against what the Bible says, they think that they have this thing 100% figured out. They think that they have a better understanding of God than what they should have, and they're seeking after what Paul says that their itching ears want to hear. And what I've seen in my time with friends that I've grown up with that have wandered away from the faith, people that I've known, people on social media, those that have said that they were Christians at one point but now have completely walked away from the faith. What I've seen time and time again is that when people deconstruct, there is often a crisis of belief that requires faith and action, but instead they sit and they question Again, like I said, this is a topic that hits home for me. I've seen people that have walked away from the faith because they have these questions in their minds. Again, questions are not a bad thing, but when they begin to look at the Bible through that cynical lens, when they begin to have these questions or think that they have things figured out when they really ultimately don't, they begin to dismantle their faith. And unfortunately, sometimes they walk away completely. The best way that I can give, to, give as an analogy for this is like the game of Jenga. You guys ever played the game of Jenga? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It's the game where there's a, there's a tower and there's these wooden blocks and you build up that tower and then we take turns pulling out the blocks and I pull one out and then you pull a block out and then I pull one out and you pull one out and then all of a sudden that tower falls. That's what deconstruction is. See, people have built their faith and the faith is the Jenga tower and then over the course of time, they begin to pull those blocks out, when those questions begin to come at them, whether through themselves or through others, when they feel like they don't have good enough answers to those questions, their faith will begin to weaken and weaken until finally it collapses. Like I said, I've seen this happen multiple times and it usually happens in the same order. It's usually with people that have grown up in the church. They've grown up reading the Bible. They've grown up lifting their hands in worship. They grew up in Sunday school. They grew up learning what the truth is and then they go off to college or they go into the workplace and when they begin to have these questions about their faith, they feel like they don't have a great answer. Eventually those thoughts and those doubts, they turn into cynically looking at the Bible and what they have been taught to believe their entire lives. And they begin to deconstruct their faith and replace it with a new one. As Paul says, they have turned away from listening to the truth and have wandered into myths. Now, obviously, this is nothing new. This is not a new concept because it, Paul is warning Timothy about this. And even in a more modern era, this is nothing new. This, Whether they realize it or not, deconstruction is actually rooted in this 20th century philosophy called post Modernism, postmodernism is this idea that there's no way to know what's really true. The postmodernism would tell you that there is no such thing as truth. And what happens with this is when people begin to believe that there's no such thing as truth, they begin to rebel against authority. They begin to buck the authority that has been in place in their lives and they begin to walk away from it. And while people may not fully acknowledge that they're following this philosophy, they have still fallen into this trap then the statement that there's no way to know what's really true is just patently insane. And unfortunately, people begin to think this way. They begin to think that, oh, well, maybe what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is is true for me. Or, Or you gotta live your truth. And so now we have a misunderstanding of what even basic fundamental truth is, and now we have a lady who is sitting on the Supreme Court who can't answer what a woman is. Guys, we have people who have taken the truth and they've completely exchanged it for a lie, for myth. And we can't answer basic fundamental questions. Guys, we're, we're in an age and we're, we have a problem with the truth. We have a problem when people don't think there is such a thing as truth. But we know that there is. We know that there is a truth. But at the end of the day, no matter how a person begins down the path of deconstruction, it all comes down to the same root issue. Deconstruction, is a disordering of authority. Said another way, it is the disordering of God's authority. Kind of to give an overview of what I'm talking about with this is that the Bible and God has clearly laid out the order of his authority. There's a clear defined way in which the authority of God flows. And when this gets flipped on its head, when this gets confused, when we start to put things out of order, we're going down the wrong path. So like I said, God has got to be first. We understand that God is the priority. He is the ultimate authority. He is the primary, and from him, everything else flows. From God flows his authority through the revelation about himself. So God has revealed himself to man, and then from that, we have the church. The church sits as an order of authority through what, which God has given through himself and revealed to us, to the church, and then finally, his authority flows to us. So we have an authority in our lives, but what happens is when people begin to deconstruct is they get this order completely disordered and they're in trouble. So what happens is they actually put themselves in place of God and then wonder why everything begins to crumble. So we're gonna dive into this a little bit more because I believe that this is the root cause of all those that are deconstructing or people that are walking away from the faith is they have a problem with the order of God's authority. So God, first and foremost, we understand that he exists as the ultimate authority in our lives so that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist as co-equals as the primary influence and deciding factor in our lives. We understand that scripture talks about this and God himself claims this position in our lives. Revelation 1.8, God says that I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. God claims this position for himself. He claims that he will be the ultimate authority. He claims that he must be first and he must be the primary authority in our lives. But human nature and the devil are always trying to muddy the waters. They're always trying to subvert God's authority. They're always trying to confuse this order of authority in our lives. And we see this happen time and time again. In fact, most of the New Testament is Paul writing to churches because they've got things wrong. He's writing to believers because they have a misunderstanding of what God has taught them. They have a misunderstanding of the gospel. So we see this in Colossians 1 and 15 through 17, where Paul is addressing this issue of authority with the church of Colossae. He says that he, being being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and he's reordering the proper authority In our lives, he's what was happening in that church is they were allowing pagan ideology and secular ideology to mix with Christian doctrine. And Paul is saying, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. You can't mix the world and Jesus. Jesus has to be first. He has to be the priority. He has to be the ultimate authority in our lives. And in Chapter Two, Verse Ten of the same book, Paul says that he is the head of every power and every authority. And this reminder is so timely for us today where watered down doctrine, secular ideology, and woke theology has allowed people to replace the authority of God for the authority of man. Simply stated, we have allowed the created to supersede the creator. We see this happening with deconstructionists and they're replacing the authority of God for the authority of man and then secular beliefs and worldly standards for what is right and what is wrong, for love and for justice have taken priority over what God has said. We're seeing this happen all the time. We're seeing this creep its way into churches and into biblical teaching. I mean, (laughs) Pastor Troy last week was calling people out by name because they were putting their own authority in place of what God has said. Now, I'm not gonna call them out. I'm leaving that to Pastor Troy. But what I'm saying is that we're seeing this happen in our culture today. It's happening within the church. It's happening within our own midst that people are taking their own authority, their own ideas about what is right and what is wrong and what justice really means. And they're defining love in their own terms. And they're putting that in place of what God has said. And we wonder why people are deconstructing. We wonder why people are walking away from the faith is because we can't get it straight for ourselves. We can't understand that there is a truth, that it isn't what I say, it's what God says. And what happens is when we put ourselves in the place of God, we confuse the people that we're leading. In church, people need us. They're relying on us to point them in the right path. We have to make sure that we understand the proper order of authority, So we see that God must sit in his rightful place as the primary authority in our lives and that everything else flows from that. And this authority takes shape through the revelation of God, through God revealing himself to man. And when I talk about revelation, I'm not talking about the last book of the Bible, all right? We're not getting into all of that seven horses and all the craziness and all the eyes and things like that. We're not, I'm not talking about just revelation. What I'm talking about is the way that God has revealed himself to us. And this breaks down into two different ways. First is general revelation. And this is nature, it is creation, it's the way that God has ordered and designed things. And the second is special revelation. Special revelation is the Bible. And these are important to understand. Now, I understand if you grew up in more of a, you come from a more fundamentalist background like I did when I say that science and the Bible are working together, you might, you might be like, you know, pricking up a little bit. I might've been like stepping on your toes. You might be like, hey, I, I thought that the Bible was supposed to be the, the authority that we listen to. not Not science. Now, I understand what you're saying what I'm trying to articulate is that science and the Bible are not contrary to one another. God's creation and his word are not in opposition. Rather, they are complementary to one another. They're revealing to us truths of God's attributes, his nature, and are showing us who he is. So when it comes to general revelation, as I said, is the natural order of God's creation through which he reveals himself to us. And the beauty of general revelation is that it's available to everyone. God reveals himself to all through his very creation. Romans 1, through 20 talks about this. Paul writes to the Roman church and he says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in all things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Paul is telling us that God has revealed himself through us through his very creation. So we see God's nature all around us. And even in the Old Testament, Job alludes to this in much the same way when he's responding to his friends talking about God and he says, but ask the beasts and they will teach you, the birds of the heavens and they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth and they will teach you, and the fish of the sea will declare to you Whom among these do not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? So the reason why it's important to understand where general revelation fits into this order of authority is that today we are living in an age of scientific revolution. We're entering into an age of science where your middle school and high schoolers are going off to school and they're being taught that nature is in opposition to God. But I believe that what Paul and Job are telling us is that science is not something that is contrary to God, but rather in a way in which we can understand him and understand his nature. I mean, science is amazing. And the more that we discover about the world around us and about the universe, I believe it's revealing to us more about who God is. Every new scientific discovery is amazing. And us as Christians, we're like, Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this so amazing that the creator of the universe would do all of these things? The more intricate things we find out about science, the more we're seeing the hand of God at work. I mean, the more things that are coming to light down to the very atoms that make up our bodies, the electrons that are whirling around, the DNA that is imprinted in every single one of our cells reveals the magnificence and the magnitude of our creator. And the amazing thing about this is that a God who perfectly designs the universe, sets everything in order in such a way for you and I to be able to survive and to flourish, all of those things, if he would create all of that in such a perfect and intimate way, how much more so does he wanna be involved in our lives? As the Bible says that if we look at the fields, if we look at the birds, if we look at the flowers in the field, if God is taking care of those things, how much more is he gonna take care of us who are the image bearers of him? So science and nature in and of itself reveals God through us. So we see that as God reveals himself through general revelation, he also reveals himself through special revelation. And as I said, this is the Bible. The Bible is the inspired and living word of God. It's inspired in that it has dual authorship. It was written by men inspired by the Holy Spirit, dual authors. And it's the living word of God because the Holy Spirit is still alive and active and moving through God's word to impact each and every single one of us. And this is how we can all sit in the same room, hear the same messages, we can go and we can read the same verses and each one of them can apply specifically and uniquely to your situation because God's word is alive and it is active and as the word says that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we understand that God's authority flows through his word because God himself embodies his word. John 1.14 tells us that in the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus himself is the embodiment of God's word. And God's authority flows from himself through his creation and through his word and through his son, Jesus, and Jesus embodies it in the scriptures. And in 2 Timothy 3, Paul tells us the purpose of God's word. It says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, this is where deconstructionists have a rough time because if you talk to somebody who is going down the path of deconstruction, who, somebody who is having a cynical approach to the Bible, they'll usually land at a question something like, well, how do we know the Bible's even true? How do we know that this book that was written thousands of years ago by a bunch of guys, how do we even know that it's reliable? How do we even know that something that was written that long ago, why does that have to have a say in my life today? I mean, wasn't it written such a long time ago that it couldn't possibly apply to 2023? I mean, come on, how could that even be possible? But we understand and we recognize the authority of the Bible. We understand that it was written by up to 40 authors over the span of 500 years in three different languages on three different continents. And yet somehow, with all of that, all 66 books come together perfectly to reveal God to us. We understand the authority of scripture. We understand the authority of God's revelation that he shows himself and reveals himself to us. So again, we have God's authority that is flowing from himself through creation and through his word. And finally, it flows to the church, to the body of believers. Now, I want to pause here for just a second because I want to make sure that we understand this order of authority. And it's very important for us to understand this because depending on your background, you may have these orders flipped. If you grew up Catholic or in some other denominations, they would actually put the church above the Bible. Now see, we understand that the proper order is that it's God, his word and revelation and then it's the church. Because if I get up here or if somebody else gets up here and starts preaching something that is contrary to the word, we have to have something that we can point back to. We have to have something that we recognize that as the church, we are under the authority of the Bible. So we recognize that this is the proper order of things, that we have a standard of truth that we can all hold to. And so we see that as we go into the church, man, if deconstructionists had a problem with the Bible, they definitely have a problem with the church. See, we believe and we understand and we know that the church is the bride of Christ. That it was established by Jesus and that the church, man, it is a beautiful thing. In fact, when you walked in here today, you walked into this amazing building. Our, our bathrooms are clean. Your coffee was perfect, right? Even if it wasn't, your coffee was perfect. You go down to the kid's wing and everybody's smiling. All the kids are having a perfect time. Nobody's crying. There's no dirty diapers. Everything's perfect over there. You walked in here, the air temperature's nice. The seats are nice. The worship was amazing. You may not have gotten the pastor that you wanted, but that's okay. The church is an amazing thing. The church is a beautiful thing until you and I show up until we show up with all of our baggage, with all of our issues, with all of our failures, with all of our shortcomings, the church would be perfect if it weren't for the people. See, as soon as you and I walk in, we've messed things up. Because I don't know about you, but I've made some mistakes in my life. I've made some mistakes. I don't have this whole thing completely figured out. And what the problem is, is that deconstructionists cannot separate the fact that the church and that there's people that the church that is established by God is an amazing and it's a beautiful thing. And they don't recognize that the church is a hospital for the broken. And if you come into any church, any church, any church ever, if you come into any church with a standard of perfection, you're gonna be disappointed every single time. But what happens is that people forget this and then they experience what they would call church hurt. Now this is a kind of a hot button issue and I wanna stop for a second because I understand that there are legitimate reasons for church hurt. There are legitimately things that may have happened in your life from a previous church, from a previous leader that do not reflect Christ. And I'm not talking about those things because there are legitimate things that the church has done and it has hurt people, but I understand that it's people that have hurt people. Now I'm not discounting those things, but what I'm doing is I'm making a distinction between those legitimate reasons and what typically happens usually people have an issue with church and it's in the minute details it's in the things that don't really matter and yet they label it as church hurt these are things like i drove in the parking lot today and you know the guy that was in the parking lot he was kind of a jerk to me and i didn't get the spot that i wanted i had to walk an extra 10 steps to get into church and i didn't really like that and then you know i got my coffee and instead of having 14 pumps of pumpkin spice latte. It only had 10 pumps in it, so I couldn't even enjoy it. And then I get in and the worship is too loud or it's too quiet or they didn't sing the song that I wanted or you know, I wasn't sitting next to the person that I wanted to sit next to and this and that. So we start to nitpick all of these small things with the church and we miss all the good that the church is doing. We miss all the good of the bride. Of Christ, And again, I understand that there's legitimate things that the church has done. There's legitimate church hurt, but the things that are often picked out the most are the small things. And I understand while a church or someone may have messed up, it doesn't mean that the church is messed up. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about the church. In Hebrews, we're told that we should not forsake the gathering of the brotherhood. We should not forsake the gathering together to strengthen, to worship our creator corporately. We should not forsake this. this should not, uh, we should not forget about this. This is such an important thing because this isn't happening everywhere. The fact that people are able to come freely into church is an amazing thing, and we cannot forget about that. And the church is God's design. And we're called to be planted in the house of God, Psalm 92, 12, and 13 says this, that the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. See, the church is God's design. It is supposed to be a covering for us. It's supposed to be a protection. It's supposed to be a place for community and for growth. And yes, a healthy church should make you uncomfortable and should step on your toes as we push one another towards Christ. People who are deconstructing can not seem to get past the small things, the flaws with the people that are in the church, and so they discount the church. And as the old saying goes, they miss the forest for the trees. And so they take all of these small things, these little details, and they throw out the church entirely. Now again, there's, no such thing as a perfect church, but we must recognize that God's authority does flow through the church and therefore it must be placed in its proper position of authority in our lives. So we see that God's authority flows from himself through his revelation about himself to his church and then finally it flows to us. If his authority is bestowed upon us, you have an authority given to you by God to make decisions about your life. This is what we call free will. God has given us the ability to make those choices. He has given us free will because he desires for us to freely worship and to love him. We were given free will for that purpose, and what has happened is we've taken this free will and we've completely flipped it. So instead of worshiping God, we're worshiping ourselves. And this is where deconstructionists have completely flipped the understanding of authority on its head, and they've fallen into this trap called secular humanism, which loosely stated is the idolatry of self, the idolatry of self. We've made ourselves out to be the ultimate authority in our lives, and suddenly my feelings supersede church doctrine. My experiences take priority over God's word, and my truth is greater than the truth. People that go down this path are now worshiping at the altar of self, having sacrificed sound doctrine and the word of God to satisfy their own values and morals is what Paul was warning Timothy about in 2 Timothy. He says, for the time is coming and we know that the time is now where people will not endure sound teachings but having those itching ears they will bring about for themselves, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, their own desires, their own list of values and morals and will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myths. Now church, we have to Make sure that we're careful to not fall into the same trap. And now I understand you may be sitting there, you're like, man, I've got this. I've been sitting in church my entire life. I read the Bible backwards and forwards. I lift my hands in worship. I have a good relationship with Jesus. But I think that Paul is also giving Timothy a warning. See, when he uses that word wandering, it denotes that it takes time. That it didn't just happen all at once, but that it was a slow process for people that began to deconstruct, and we must watch out for this as well because we understand that we would be in danger of going down the path of deconstruction when we start to think that we have it all figured out. When we have this whole God and this whole Bible and this whole church thing completely figured out, we are beginning to go down the path of deconstruction and we're in danger of going down that path. When we begin to question the Bible through a cynical lens and when we stop seeking out godly wisdom and counsel, on things that we don't understand. We are in danger of stepping in place of God and making ourselves out to be the ultimate authority. But here's the good news. If you know somebody who's deconstructing, if you yourself are struggling with doubts or with questions about the Bible, let me first and foremost say that God is patient. Thankfully, God is patient. I have questions, you have questions. God wants us to seek after him when it comes to questions about himself and about his word. God's not scared of our questions. God isn't worried that you're gonna come to him with a question that he doesn't have an answer to. So let me encourage you first and foremost with that. In fact, James 1.5 tells us that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him seek after God. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. God wants us to seek after him when we have questions. He wants us to seek after godly wisdom. Like I said, he is not scared of our questions. In fact, he encourages our questions. Jesus gives us this encouragement in Matthew 7, verse seven and eight. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. See, I know this about God is that he will not hide himself from us. When we diligently seek after him, we seek after him with a posture to understand, he will always show up. He will always show up. If you would stand on your feet with me today as we close. So deconstruction is an unfortunate reality in our world right now and as we look across society and we see these young people who are dismantling their faith, I believe that we it begs the question, how did we get here? How did we get to this point where people who have grown up in the church that know the Bible, that have been a part of, have had a relationship with God even, how have they walked away from the faith? And I believe that first and foremost, we have to take a look at ourselves. We have to take a look at ourselves as the church and as the body of Christ, and I'm talking to the Christians specifically in the room, we have to ask ourselves, how did we miss the mark? How did we miss the mark? How have we contributed to this thing called deconstruction? See, maybe you're in here today and you think that you claim God as the ultimate authority in your life, but when we walk outside of these four walls, do people even know that we're a Christian? Do our co-workers, do our friends, Is our waitress at lunch today, can they tell that there's something different about us? We claim that the Bible is the ultimate authority. We claim that we believe what it says, but do our kids or do our spouse ever see us reading it? Or is it just sitting on the nightstand collecting dust? We understand the importance of gathering together and worshiping with other believers. And yet on the way to church, we find ourselves complaining or nitpicking the small things. And if it rains, we will just forgo church altogether. And then all of a sudden things become more of a priority and life gets busy and then we go a week, we go months and we haven't been to church. Now I'm not saying these things to condemn you. I'm saying that maybe, just maybe without us even realizing it, we have put ourselves as the ultimate authority in our lives without even realizing it, we have placed ourselves in the position that God holds. And we've flipped the order of authority on its head. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. The reason that I was talking about all of this is because that there are people that are counting on you. People are counting on us to point them in the right direction, to show them the truth, to show them that there is such thing as absolute truth. And that truth comes from God. We need to stand firm on this first and foremost because people are asking questions. Again, it's not a problem if you're asking those questions, but we need to seek after them with a proper posture. And so today, I believe there's two different groups in this room and you may fall into one of these two categories. One, maybe you've never accepted Jesus. Maybe you've never had a relationship with him and through this conversation, maybe you're just feeling something tugging on your heart. Maybe you're realizing that you've tried to be the ultimate authority in your life and it just, it hasn't worked. That's because you're not supposed to be the ultimate authority. As I've said, we need to make sure that God sits as the primary and ultimate authority in our lives. And so if you're in here today and you have not started a relationship with Jesus, today is your day. Today is the day that you can make the ultimate decision in your life the most important decision that you will ever make. The second group of people in here are those of you that have a relationship with Jesus, but if you're honest with yourself, he is not the center of your life. He is not the Lord of your life. He is not the ultimate and primary authority in your life. Maybe you've gotten things out of whack. Well, today is the day to repent, that we're going to reorder ourselves in the way that God tells us that his authority Must flow, And so if you fall into either one of those two categories, whether you've never accepted Jesus or you recognize that you need to make sure that he is the center of your life, if you would just put your hand over your heart. It's this simple act of faith where we're telling God that, hey, I've messed up. I've put things before you. I've gotten things out of order and I wanna make this right. And so today, if that is you, we're gonna say this simple prayer together and the church is gonna join in together. We're all gonna say this out loud so that you can hear it with your own ears say, Dear God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Forgive me for putting myself first. Renew my heart, lead me and guide me in your ways and your truth.